another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. Thank you so much, wherever you are, however you're taking in the podcast, for joining us on another episode. And you're going to get several episodes this week, at least three. Very excited about that. It's spring break, baby. I, I am relaxing. One of the nice things about being a teacher is having a little bit more time to yourself during that spring break, especially when the kids are at daycare, the wife's still working. Hey, it's podcast time. Chance to... Uh, Focus on the blog side of things a little bit during my week off. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter, the site manager of grizzlybearblues.com, Joe Mullinax, at Joe Mullinax. And, of course, you can follow our terrific blog, grizzlybearblues.com, at SBN Grizzlies, a proud member of the SB Nation NBA team site network. Got a great show for you today. It has two awesome GBB guests, one who has never been on the podcast before and one who is a returning guest on the show. In the first segment after this opening one, I will have Justin Lewis, a great staff writer over at grizzlybearblues.com. He also co-hosts the 3 and D podcast with Sean Coleman. And that is another connection to GBB in terms of expanding our podcast network. We're going to talk about Mike Conley. We're going to talk about his overall reaction to the news this past week that Chris Wallace and J.B. Bickerstaff were being reassigned and fired, respectfully, the way that it was done, uh, picking eighth overall if that happens for the Grizzlies. Of course, the, uh, the draft lottery tiebreakers were done this past Friday, and Memphis landed in eighth. Could have gotten ninth, could have gotten seventh, but they land in eighth, so kind of the middle ground there. So we'll talk to Justin about all that in the next segment. And then after our conversation with Justin, we'll wrap up with Parker Fleming, senior staff writer over at grizzlybearblues.com, also a co-host of the Core 4 podcast. He will be recording his first episode with Nathan Chester on the GBB podcast network for the Core 4 this week. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about the uh, future head coach of the Grizzlies, what kind of things they should be looking for, trade value for Mike Conley, uh, Jonas Valanciunas opting in. Obviously, there's a ton to talk about in terms of the overall offseason. We'll get to that with Parker in our final segment of this show. So we have Justin Lewis coming up next. Following him will be Parker Fleming. But first, I want to give you my kind of takeaway from the events of this past Thursday and the overall frustration that there was regarding the way that it all went down. In a word, or three words, I don't care. And that sounds really harsh, and I know that J.B. Bickerstaff is highly respected by the media in Memphis. Folks that I respect immensely had a pretty big issue with the way that it happened. Gary Paris, Jeff Calkins, lots of those types really didn't like the way that J.B. and Wallace kind of went out. (laughs) Not kind of, they did go out in front of the media, take questions about their futures, anticipating being around, and then just hours later, uh, the Woj bomb dropping that both would be in different roles. Of course, Wallace being moved to the scouting side of things, and then, of course, J.B. Bickerstaff being removed, period. Regardless of how you feel about Jason Wexler, who I think is a pretty solid addition to that uh, basketball side of the operation, he'd been on the business side for a long time now, Regardless of how you feel about Zachary Kleiman, who is a 30-year-old wonderkind prodigy type, apparently, younger than me, and he has the opportunity to run an NBA front office, I think that you have to, A, empathize with J.B. Bickerstaff and Chris Wallace. You, you, You wouldn't want to be in that situation. So I can see from the perspective of Calkins and Parrish and others where that frustration may come from. But at the same time, there's no good way to do it. It's bad regardless. You can let go of Wallace and Bickerstaff immediately after the game, but then that leads to an end-of-season media availability where the players have to answer questions. What the hell is going to happen? How are they going to react to this? Who's going to be the next head coach? What does this mean for your future? It puts the players in a tough spot, and it also opens up Wexler and Kleiman to a bunch of questions before they're probably ready to answer them. So it gave them a day or two to kind of gather themselves for media appearances with the Daily Memphian, the Commercial Appeal, the Athletic in Memphis. They were able to kind of get themselves together and figure out what the company line was going to be. They thought that they were doing it the best way they could in a situation where there was no best way. And I think that's important to keep in mind when you look at what the Grizzlies did 
Certainly not the cleanest way to do it, but at the same time, they had to do it. And the ends justify the means here. The ends justify the means, at least for me. The ends justify the means. Doesn't make it right, but there is no right way, if that makes sense. And I think it was right in the long term because they had to move on. J.B. Bickerstaff never should have gotten that job the way that he got it in the first place. I said that last year. I've said it multiple times. I was told that I was crazy. The Grizzlies have their man. And here we are. A year later, you don't have to say it directly. You don't have to open your mouth and have the words come out. But when you fire somebody a year after they got hired to run your basketball day-in, day-out team, you're admitting a mistake. Robert Perra admitted that he was wrong. In hiring J.B. Vickerstaff. And props to you, Bobby P. I- I'm with you. I-, I Trust me, I've been wrong more times than I can count. So I'm not judging that you were wrong. I can appreciate that you acknowledged the mistake and you took a step to fix it. J.B. Vickerstaff never should have gotten the job the way that he did. Now hopefully they'll have an extensive coaching search that won't be rushed and they'll find the person that they want to lead the on-the-court product for the Grizzlies moving forward. As far as Zachary Kleiman and Wexler, I love Jason Wexler. I thought that was brilliant. You want to talk about somebody that can lead a vision, that can sell people on what you're trying to do? That's Jason Wexler. And he is Memphis. And he is to the bone trying to make the Grizzlies a force for good in that city. And part of that is them being good on the basketball court. So you are putting somebody in a position of power that, has a really good eye for what it means to be a citizen of Memphis. And that is a strength there. Zachary Kleiman, don't know a ton about him. I know that if he was involved in the Marcus All trade, he did a good trade. I know that. Everybody's saying that he was a part of it. Cool. If that was his main idea, well done, sir. You got good value for him. And in theory, you should have been able to convey using the value that you had plus you have the rights to DeLon Wright, who had a massive end of the year. So now you have his rights in restricted free agency. You can keep him around if you if the price is right. And then beyond that, Jonas Valanciunas, who was having a monster time with the Grizzlies before he rolled his ankle. And now you have him with a player option. Does he choose to opt in? Does he opt out? You have rights to sign him bird rights-wise if he does opt out. It gives you options for two darn good basketball players. Oh, and by the way, C.J. Miles icing on the cake seemed to kind of have it back together a little bit there at the end. So it was a good trade for Marcus Gasol, and it worked out for both teams. But he has a ways to go to show what he can do as an NBA executive. He said as much in his interviews with the Daily Memphian Commercial Appeal. Excuse me, all these different places. And now he is looking for somebody to come in and help him with relations with agents, with the overall bureaucratic red tape of running an NBA front office. He needs help with that. He's inexperienced, and he acknowledges that. So that's a good, solid step forward. I feel better now about the Memphis Grizzlies organization than I did five days ago. That's just the truth. I do. I think they are in a better place now than they were this past Wednesday when their season concluded and Chris Wallace was still at the top, even if it was a figurehead position, still at the top of the Memphis Grizzlies and J.B. Bickerstaff was still the head coach. They are in a better place. But now, as I wrote about on Friday, it's the road that you choose and the path that you stick to. It's not about the path that you choose. It's about sticking to it. If you want to compete as best you can, by God, go do it. You got one of the top 20 or so players in the NBA, Mike Conley. If Jonas Valanciunas opts in, you got Jaron Jackson Jr. coming back. You can make an argument if you make some savvy moves in the offseason, find a way to get off of the Parsons contract. Maybe you can sign back somebody like a Malcolm Brogdon in restricted free agency. They could compete for a playoff spot. That's possible. It's not probable, but it's possible. The problem here is a lot has to go right, and that hasn't happened for two years for the Grizzlies. But if you're going to choose that path, commit to it. Buy in, boom, no more in and out, no more rebuild on the fly. As they said in, the, in their interviews with the Daily Memphian and the Commercial Appeal, no longer being reactive, being proactive. That's a good thing to hear if you're a Grizzlies fan because that means they're going to try to start thinking long term. And to me, when you hear that, that means we're trading Mike Conley. That means we're going to look at getting younger, more athletic, modernizing our roster, 
and using the assets that we have, including Mike Conley, who is one of the greatest Grizzlies of all time, but using his ability to still play the game at a high level at the age of 31 to put him on a contender, a team that wants to be in the playoffs and try to win a championship, putting him in that spot in exchange for draft picks and young players. And that's what it needs to be because that's what the best use of Conley moving forward is going to be. And if, But again, if you're going to choose that path, stick to it. Come out and say, we just traded Mike Conley. We're going to be growing as a unit. Whatever spin you want to put on it, that's why Jason Wexler's there. Put the spin. Spin it. But sell it. Jason Wexler can sell it. But whatever path you choose, you need to commit to it. And you need to stay on the path. Commit to the process and let it play out. No more in-betweens. The time's up for that. Coming up right now, okay, I'm really excited to have him on the show for the first time. Again, pretty cool opportunity here for Justin Lewis. It's his birthday, by the way, as we post this live. And I wanted to get him on to talk about his great work over at grizzlybearblues.com and lots of other things going on at the site. So here we are. Here's a conversation that I had today with Justin Lewis on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm joined at this time by one of our terrific writers over at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm going to try to get more and more of our terrific staffers on the program as we move forward. Make sure you get a chance to hear their voice. Check them out, uh, obviously, as writers. But, you know, the podcast game, we're trying to expand it over at GBB. And this guy is a great example of that. Uh, he is Justin Lewis. Uh, if you're not familiar with Justin yet, you will be. He's a staff writer for us over at grizzlybearblues.com. He does a terrific job. Uh, he works on the 3 and D podcast as well with our Sean Coleman, taking that over for Mark King. And today is also his birthday. So special shout out to Justin Lewis. Happy birthday to you, sir. And uh, thanks for taking some time for us here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Yeah, man, the privilege is all mine. I appreciate it. Of course, absolutely. So here's our first chance, uh, and no pressure. You're the one who gets the first crack at this. Uh, I talked a little bit in the opening segment about my takeaway from the overall events that occurred this past Thursday. The Grizzlies moving on from J.B. Bickerstaff firing him, demoting Chris Wallace into the scouting department, restructuring the way they do things. Up rises Jason Wexler as the president of the Grizzlies. Now he was on the business side of things. Now he's overlooking the entire operation. Uh, the guy who's going to be making the final call, usually aside from uh, owner Robert Perra, it sounds like on basketball things, is uh, Zachary Kleiman, uh, another interesting hire, 30 years old. I'm starting to get old here, Justin. He's younger than me, and yet he's running an NBA front office. Makes you wonder what, what I'm doing with my life and how I could be better. Um, but Kleiman, obviously an interesting prospect in front offices you see it a lot uh more than you used to in the past the youth not necessarily being a concern theo epstein uh, of the boston red sox now the chicago cubs is the most prominent example but there's other ones around professional sports uh what was your initial takeaway when you saw that breaking news that the grizzlies had moved on from jb bickerstaff as head coach but then of course on the larger scale and you wrote about this that day uh what what you take away from the front office shakeup and Chris Wallace still being a part of the organization, but in a far lesser role. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan that there was no official firing in the front office. Um, it, it moving people around, it, it seems like they're not going to be particularly doing things differently just on the, on the front end. Obviously we don't know who they're going to bring in and um, exactly what kind of role um, Kleiman's had going into uh, this upcoming offseason. If he's if he's the one that orchestrated the Gasol and, and Balotunas trade, then I'm excited about that. But uh, I would have liked to have seen Wallace completely axed um, just to separate our ties with him. And then as far as J.B. Bickerstaff goes, it was time. Um, he proved uh, that he was not an X-to-the-nose kind of coach. He was not an in-game kind of guy. Maybe he was a good developer of talent. Um, but that's something that I would like – to see a, a coach come in and, and bring uh, somebody on staff that's good at it. Let, let somebody, an assistant coach, be your, your developer of talent and you focus on being a great coach in the game. When J.B. Bickerstaff, to me, seemed like a very good developer of scheme, you know, and that's what a good thing for a coordinator to be able to do, you know, whether it's football or whether it's basketball. He, it seems like Bickerstaff played the role of defensive coordinator well, but there's a difference between being a coordinator and being a head coach. And whether it was offensive scheme 
whether it was play calling out of timeouts, general rotation improvements, uh, which, of course, you can make the same argument for David Fisdale and even before Fisdale, uh, Dave Yeager. Uh, not the best rotations for them either, at least some confusing choices on that front. But J.B. Bickerstaff never should have gotten the job the way he did in the first place. The lack of an interview process, the, it was all phoned in. It was very frustrating. I was frustrated with it at the time. But you could tell that media folks who obviously are a lot closer to J.B., Chris Wallace, they develop relationships over the years with these guys uh, that, that I'm not able to make. They're pretty frustrated by the way that the organization made the moves they did uh, moving on from J.B. and then Chris Wallace. And we'll get back to Wallace here in a moment. But I do want to kind of ask you – what your takeaway was from the way it was done, because it was decided in interviews since with Kleiman and Wexler, uh, they both admitted it was decided before the end of season media availability that the, both of those guys are going to be gone, but they still had them go out in front of the media, talk about the future, summer plans, ways to improve. And it was all just kind of a cluster. And they've admitted since then that they may have made a mistake in the way that they did it. I would argue there is no way, good way to do it. Do you fire them immediately after the game on Wednesday night? I, I don't know. I guess there could have been a better way to execute what they eventually were going to do, starting with Robert Perra, of course, uh, the one who makes the final calls. But I, I guess I don't necessarily care that's the way that it was done. I agree that it maybe wasn't in the best taste, but the ends justify the means in this case to me, at least from a Machiavellian standpoint at least the deed got done. And no matter which way you chose to execute it, it was still going to be ugly. Uh, what did you think about the way that Para and company uh, ended the Wallace era in air quotes on Thursday? So my initial reaction to it was not a very popular take on it. My, my first thought was their job as the general manager and the coach, this is, this is in their job responsibilities um, until they are no longer employed. Uh, and so my, my thought was just, hey, look, look, if you're still the head coach at this moment, you're still the gym at this moment, you've got to go out there and you've got to face the media. Now, with retrospect, knowing that they had known before that happening, um, I, I definitely think that the, the moment that you knew, whether it was in the middle of the season or it was the, the night of the last game, I think they should might have asked them there and then let Wexler and Kleiman face the media. Um, but – at, at first, I was like, look, this is just what they're supposed to do. This is the nature of the business. This is what happens. Um, but with with knowing that, it, it, it probably could have been handled just a, a tad bit better. See, I agree with you. I, I, I kind of see it the same way. They were ending their season, and then they went to their own availability, and uh, and it didn't – or excuse me, not their own availability, their own exit interview, and it didn't end very well for them. Uh, yeah, it, it was messy, but it was going to be messy regardless. I'm talking with Justin Lewis, great staff writer for us over at grizzlybearblues.com this week. I'm on spring break, so I have a little more free time than I normally do. Going to try to get as many GBB staffers on the program as I can. Make sure you're giving him a follow if you don't already do so at J underscore Timberfake underscore. And, and I've been told, Justin, before we get back to Wallace, that name originates with uh, people thinking that you're a bit of a Justin Timberlake lookalike. Yeah, um, I actually went to a Grizzlies game and sat in a suite one time and got asked for my autograph because um, they thought that I was him. Well, there you go. See, I, I tell you what, he he's spoken for ladies, but he must be a looker if <laughs> if he if he looks like Justin Timberlake. So make sure you're giving him a follow at J underscore Timberfake underscore. Uh, Chris Wallace, you mentioned that you were frustrated that he wasn't completely let go. It, it led a lot of people in the initial wake of the announcement of the restructuring to say they're just rearranging furniture on the Titanic. I guess it comes down to how little involvement you thought Wallace had in the process there at the end. I think right around the trade deadline and beyond and Kleiman kind of alluded to this in his interviews with daily Memphis and commercial appeal and the athletic, you know, all those media outlets there in Memphis, he kind of alluded to the idea that, yeah, I've been taking on more responsibility as the year has gone on. And maybe that means Wallace takes a bit of a back seat. But to me, it's about Chris Wallace being the good soldier. I think Para didn't want to fire him. There's only one year left on Wallace's deal, I believe. You can let it expire. Not re-signing someone from the scouting department is not as bad of a look as firing someone who's been with the organization for such a long time. I think Para is a lot more aware of the optics than he cares to let on. And I think he's especially that way with people that he views that have been loyal to him. 
And I think Wallace is an example of that. So I don't know how much of a role Chris Wallace will have. It almost might be like uh, the the years ago when Wallace kind of went away in the organization and really didn't have much to do while uh, Jason Levian and others were running the the day-to-day operations of the Grizzlies. But I do think this is probably it for him, uh, at least in Memphis, and it'll kind of fade into the sunset and and go out a year later. I don't see him being super involved. It sounds like you just wish they would have had a clean cut, though. Yeah, I'm just I'm just tired of his name being associated. I went through and, and looked at every single move that he's made since he's been in Memphis, and there's just not too too many of them that are that are good at all. Um, and if, if he's been a GM that's also been scouting the talent, um, scouting department isn't where I would want him, unless you just plan on sending him overseas to go look at Euro prospects that we'll never uh, bring over, or you're going to send him on the road to, to watch other games uh, in the NBA and report back to us. I just don't want him near the organization anymore. I would let him do exactly what you just said. I I would almost say it as like a professional retirement. You have the money, you have the funds, you have him under contract anyway. Let him travel to places in Europe. Let him go to Kansas, his beloved Kansas University, uh, where he can scout <laughs> so many prospects. Let let him travel a little bit because he's not going to be a part of that draft process next year. His draft his contract expires. I don't see him sticking around. It sounds like John Hollinger will stick around, and he's taking on a different uh, evaluation kind of role in the organization where he can be closer to home in Atlanta. That's uh, according to Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian. Um, But I think this is it for Wallace, and it doesn't bother me as much that he's not around, but I can definitely get your perspective. You wrote about this over at grizzlybearblues.com. The article's title was The Grizzlies Front Office, Forgive But Never Forget. And it takes on a different tone now, now that they've actually made these changes, because your feature went live before the media availability. And then, of course, the subsequent rearranging, firing of J.B. Bickerstaff, all of that stuff. And I really like your take on it, Justin. I know you're a person of faith and you talk about that a good bit. and You quote the Bible in this article, uh, forgiveness of Chris Wallace. How do you reach that point when you're a fan of a team that has clearly been impacted by a lot of the questionable at best, directly bad at worst uh, decisions that Chris Wallace made at the helm of the Grizzlies? Well, most forgiveness, whether warranted or not, is really a self-sacrifice of your own interest. Like, really what we want is to to hold this grudge and blame Chris Wallace forever. And so it just comes down to us as saying, okay, Look, I make mistakes too. Uh, this guy, he's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Let's let's forgive him. It might be easier to forgive him now uh, since he is no longer uh, in that role. But I think it just comes to looking at maybe with the drafting of Jaron Jackson, that's a piece that you can look at if Chris Wallace was responsible for that. And be, okay, he's maybe he's done some things that that have warranted some forgiveness. Um, but we just got to recognize that there's no organization that's perfect. There's no person that's perfect. And so we can't, we can't blame this guy forever. No matter who they bring in, Zachary Kleiman could be the next Theo Epstein and he's going to mess up. He's going to make mistakes. And I think that's an important perspective for folks to keep as the Grizzlies enter in to what is likely to be a long rebuild process. We're talking once again with GBB's Justin Lewis. He's a great staff writer for us. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already do so at J underscore Timberfake underscore. A couple more things for you here, Justin, and then we'll get you out of here. First, I want to ask your opinion. Obviously, the Grizzlies uh, select eighth in the lottery, or they have the eighth odds, I should say, in the lottery that comes up on May 14th. Not the result that many wanted uh, in terms of the race to convey. I've been a big supporter of that process. Uh, If you're in ninth, that's kind of the sweet spot because you're the closest to possibly getting the first overall pick or winning the lottery, quote unquote. But you're also essentially guaranteed either that or a conveyance of the pick to Boston. And that should have been the goal all along. But it is better than landing in seventh, which was also a possibility on that drawing on Friday and having to have two teams jump over you to get out of the way of conveyance. So now I don't have the exact percentages on the top of my head, but I think it's roughly a two-thirds chance of the Grizzlies either getting a top four pick or conveying the pick, and then the other third is picking at eight, which is the nightmare scenario, which likely means that is what's going to happen to Memphis. Uh, Gary Parrish, friend of grizzlybearblues.com. I have a chance to be on with GP every Wednesday. Make sure you're checking that out on 92.9 in the afternoons with Gary Parrish. Um, 
he posted his latest mock draft and he has the Grizzlies taking Romeo Langford eight overall. That would be a disaster to me. I just don't see the skill. He's young, obviously, and he sounds like he's been dealing with an injury. But I just feel like at this point, picking at eight would be the absolute nightmare scenario for the Grizzlies. Do you agree with that? Or are you coming around to the idea of, hey, at least it'd be another young piece of talent that that could help around Jaron Jackson Jr. as this long rebuild begins? If it's Romeo Langford, I'm going to beat my head against the wall. Um, <laughs> I, I, if there's some guys at eight that that are out there that that could help, you know, I don't I don't know if a, a Hunter or a Garland or any of those kind of guys are going to fall to eight. Um, I I do believe fully uh, that eight is the nightmare, and I don't want any part of it. Eight is where we've either got to package uh, Conley and try to maybe move up, or we um, package. Um, Chandler Parsons expiring now expiring contract to a team that maybe would take him um, I saw a tweet the other day that said something about our percentages and, and where we land that was pretty funny you could tell this guy's been a Grizz fan for a long time um, it was win the lottery uh, no chance convey yeah right uh, and that guy's going to be a superstar um, and then pick eight 100% <laughs> yes, somebody who's been around the block a time or two with the Memphis Grizzlies. I, I do understand the exhaustion with it. I've heard a lot of folks talking about that, just wanting it to be over with. And May 14th, better or worse, it's going to be done with. Uh, and I'm sure lots of Memphians will be watching with bated breath to see what occurs for the Grizzlies because it kind of sets the tone for what the offseason is going to be. If you do convey, you know, to me, it's a clean bill for a rebuild. You move on from Mike Conley. You have a chance to kind of redo not just your organizational structure, but also the identity of what it means to be a Memphis Grizzly. That's one of the reasons I want to convey. If you land in the top four, if you love DeAndre Hunter, you can take DeAndre Hunter. If you love Jarrett Culver, you can take Jarrett Culver if you're at four overall. And if you're in the top three, well, now you're talking R.J. Barrett, who I'm still pretty high on. You're talking John Morant, who could be a Russell Westbrook type of player or heaven forbid you land number one and you get Zion Williamson. So I, I would be fine if they landed in the top four, because I think that hopefully your scouting department is sound enough that you can take whichever one of those wings, like I said, uh, DeAndre Hunter, Jarrett Culver, whichever one you like better for the NBA, you can take them at four, or any of those top three, if you get up to the top three a and then you can convey in 2020, I think that's possible. And then obviously the conveyance of the pick this year would still be a good priority as well. Finishing up here with Justin Lewis, doing a great job for us at grizzlybearblues.com. He's a staff writer for us over there, also doing some podcasting work with the 3 and D podcast. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at J underscore Timberfake. Again, today, or there's an underscore at the end of Timberfake, excuse me. And again, it's his birthday, so give him a follow for his birthday again. That's at J underscore Timberfake underscore. Uh, Justin, we'll get you out of here on this. Our player review series started at the blog today taking a look at the G League players, Yuta Watanabe, Julian Washburn, and then, of course, the captain, the conductor, Mike Conley. In the Conley review, I wrote about how Mike's parting gift to Memphis might be his trade value not being any higher than it is right now because he's shown he is a top 20 to 25 player in the NBA still. That holds pretty significant value to me. Uh, to the Lakers, to the Knicks, you know, anybody after the new league year starts and cap space becomes available with the start of free agency, you know, I could see him being moved to a variety of squads that are interested in him as a plan B if they strike out in free agency. Do you think that this is the end of Mike Conley in Memphis or do you expect him back with the Grizzlies? I think it kind of goes with what you said about the whole convey chances. I think if, if we convey, Conley's 100% gone because we don't have to worry about trying to convey next season. Um, but I, 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 it seems like um, it's it's the end. Uh, I was in Memphis this past weekend to come see my fiance, and we went to the Nike outlet. You know what jersey was marked down to $27? Mike Conley. Mike Conley. Um, so I don't know if that means anything, uh, but I picked up a Mike Conley, uh, 2018, 2019 Grizzlies Jersey for 27 bucks. Uh, so it seems like, uh, he, he may be on the way out. I tend to agree. And that's, you know, I gave Mike an A in his player review. I thought he had a tremendous season. And if that was the end of Conley as a Grizzly, 
It's cool to see him at the top of the scoring list. It's cool to see him with all the accolades and respect that uh, Memphians will hold for him. And, and he's allowed to be a little bit selfish. You know, he talked about that in the Peter Edmiston piece in The Athletic. Uh, he's allowed to want to go compete somewhere. And if the Grizzlies are entering a long-term rebuild, which makes sense with their window, given that Jaron Jackson's still only 19 years old, uh, if they want to take a few years or a couple of years to try to get this thing right, I, I think he has every right to want to try to get out. And hopefully Memphis can do that while still securing their future. You know, whether it's LA, New York, uh, Indiana makes a lot of sense to me, depending on what Indiana is uh, willing to give up to get Conley. Uh, Sabonis and Turner are both there in Indy. I don't know how much sense it makes to keep both of them around. So I, I think there's some value with the Pacers as well. There's going to be options. And then, of course, none of that mentions Utah and Detroit, who both could sorely use Conley right now, who fell through at the trade deadline in terms of offers. So I'm with you. I think we've probably seen the end of Mike in Memphis. Justin Lewis, thank you so much for joining us this week on the show, or excuse me, on this episode of the show. It's much appreciated as always, and this won't be the last time. We'll have you back on down the road. All right, I appreciate it, Joe. We'll be right back. We're back on our final segment here, this episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinex, and I'm joined in this final segment by one of the up-and-comers uh, among Grizzlies Twitter, Grizzlies Media, whatever you want to look at it as. Uh, very excited. He's just finished up his first year with grizzlybearblues.com, and we're excited, I know I am at least, to see what comes next for him as he uh, progresses into year two with GBB. He's a senior writer for us over at grizzlybearblues.com. He's also a co-host of the Core 4, and we'll talk about that a little bit here at the beginning. Core 4 making their SB Nation network debut with Megaphone and all of that stuff. Same network that GB Live has gone through in terms of a new uh, way of doing things. The Core 4 is about to do the same thing. So really cool opportunity for those young guys as well, and I'm excited to have them on the network with us. Uh, his name is Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm just making it through, making it through last semester of school. So it's been a grind. Yes, you have a a graduation coming up, if I do recall. Early congratulations to you. Thank you, Joe. Absolutely. It's going to be pretty cool to have a college graduate. You know, I'm like a proud papa over here uh, of Parker and and the work that he's done with the blog. And I know he's excited to graduate from school and and uh, get on to what is next because the real world sucks sometimes. But at the same time, at least you have a chance to to kind of be a, a full on adult. And I know uh, when I was your age, I, I was looking forward to that opportunity. God, I am old. Um, so uh, moving on from my own mortality and my, uh, my furthering back of my hairline uh, to other things that'll cause you stress, <laughs> the Memphis Grizzlies and their, uh, their overall thought process. In the previous segment, I spoke with Justin Lewis, who I know you're familiar with. Justin's partly a GBB year because of you. Um, looking at this overall process that the Grizzlies have kind of started with the restructuring of basketball operations uh, in our round table that you did uh, as part of the Grizzlies uh, round table that we finished the season with at GBB, you already kind of gave your thoughts on what you thought of the moves that were made, the way that they were done. So make sure you're checking out the round table over at grizzlybearblues.com if you haven't already done so. Uh, so I'll pass on that, but I am kind of interested in what your takeaway is with J.B. Bickerstaff in particular, because this will be another time where the Grizzlies have changed a head coach. This will be another moment in Grizzlies history where they have to find somebody to kind of lead the on-the-court operations, the day-to-day -day basketball movements of the team, and they have to make another choice. They've made a lot of changes on this side of things the past five or six years. So what are you looking for in terms of an overall overhaul of the coaching side of things? Because again, it's, it's not like David Fisdale was a bad coach. Dave Yeager certainly wasn't a bad coach. Lionel Hollins fit what the Grizzlies were trying to do really well. It seems like there's just been a lot of overturn in the front office and that's kind of connected to the head coaching stuff. Do you see this as an opportunity for them to hire somebody and stick with it? I definitely see this as an opportunity to find somebody and stick with them. And that's what I've been reading over at places like the Commercial Appeal and The Athletic is that Wexler and Clayman 
they really want to focus on the future and not necessarily just making blind, short-sighted efforts at the playoffs as we saw this year with the Grizzlies, as it was evident with, you know, the reluctancy to play to Michael Green and Shelvin Mack over Jaron Jackson and Javon Carter or trading for Justin Holiday and giving up two first-round picks in the process. So I really think they're really trying to go for the long game here. And whether that is a Sixers-type rebuild or not, that remains to be seen. But I really do think this is an opportunity to find someone to stick with them. And one thing I really hope they do value that I think was a problem with the past coaches is relationships. For one, we all know the Lionel Holland sink. He came out in an exit interview in his last season and said that it's hard to have a champagne taste when you have a beer budget. And let's be real, that's what, that's what got him fired. Dave Yeager was looking at other jobs. David Fisdale couldn't get along with three of the four most important players in Grizzlies history. So I really, and one thing I did like with JB is every player spoke so highly of him in the exit interviews. And I really hope that they can find somebody that gets along with the players and with the front office like JB Bickerstaff, but has a little bit more X's and O's as well. It really has been kind of a, a difficult time finding a head coach who marries the two together. Because as you mentioned, I'd say most folks, maybe the Sacramento Kings would disagree with this a little bit, but Dave Yeager is a good basketball coach. And I think that what costs Dave Yeager in Sacramento is exactly what you just said that cost him in Memphis. It's about relationships with your boss. You know, you can't come out and call your boss cheap, which is essentially what Lionel Hollins did and expect to keep your job. You can't actively seek out another job multiple times like Dave Yeager did. Cause you got to remember even before the Sacramento thing, there was Minnesota, you know, there were rumors of him taking the Minnesota Timberwolves job. So there's been lots of flaws with the guys that they've brought in. And then of course, David Fisdale essentially coming in and telling a group of guys who had to fight their asses off to establish what the core four is and was, and basically tell them they haven't done a damn thing. That's not going to be a good sell for guys like Zach Randolph and Marcus Gasol, you know, some very opinionated folks who, like I said, worked really hard for what was accomplished during that era. So they need to find a common ground and an in-between. And I think that they need to make a long-term investment. It needs to be at least a four-year contract. They need to show whoever they're bringing in, we are committed to you and what, you being a part of what we're trying to build here. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Joe Molinex. We're chatting with Parker Fleming. He's the co-host of the Core 4 podcast, which makes its debut here on Megaphone on the SB Nation podcast network this week. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Paka, that's P-A-K-A underscore Flocka, F-L-O-C-K-A, one of the greater uh, Twitter handles out there in all of Grizzlies Twitter. Them. Um, the question of the day for this week's podcast was one that focused on attributes in a head coach. We just talked about trying to marry the concept of getting along with your bosses, with the players and their passion, and also actually being a good NBA head coach because J.B. Bickerstaff missed the mark, at least in his first crack as a full-blown head coach in that area. Uh, so the most important attribute to you when it comes to hiring a new coach for the Grizzlies, thanks to the over 125 folks that voted, uh, the runaway winner, was player development, 57%. And that makes a ton of sense. You have Dylan Brooks, you have Kyle Anderson, you have Jaron Jackson Jr., Javon Carter, lots of younger players that still have an opportunity to develop their games to an extent as they approach their primes, especially, of course, Jaron being example one there. Second place was strong with X's and O's, which was a major weakness of J.B. Bickerstaff, I think most would agree. Plus, you've heard the new-look Grizzlies front office explicitly say in their media availabilities that they are looking for an X's and O's strong coach. Uh, 5% was an emphasis on analytics. I thought that'd be a little bit higher. I guess maybe you could connect that with the front office more than the head coach, but still you could see which lineups work well on-off ratings and things like that. And then uh, folks also talked about similar things to what you said, Parker, and their suggestions be, being on the good side of the players and, and trying to keep that relationship strong with them. Uh, so let's go with the two main options there, the ones that got 93% of the vote total. Uh, what do you value more in the next Grizzlies head coach, Parker, uh, player development or being strong with their X's and O's, the uh, schemes that they implement out of timeout plays, things like that? Yeah, I was in the minority over here, and I said strong with X's and O's because I really just think that opens up opportunity for the others as well. Um, 
as we've seen in situations like Brooklyn, they've turned in they turned D'Angelo Russell into an all-star. And Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris, two young players that were simply on their last leg as far as getting NBA opportunities, are two of the most valuable role players in the league, as well as making the most out of uh, mid to late first round picks in Karis Levert and Jared Allen as well. You've seen that with Utah, or not Utah, Brooklyn with Kenny Atkinson. I think Quinn Snyder's done a great job with that in Utah. He's transformed Joe Ingles in, from like just a shooter on the wing into like a point forward who's also a th- great 3 and D wing. See what he's done with Donovan Mitchell. Um, I just think that's really going to open it up for player development and even the emphasis on analytics because with strong access and O's, as we've seen with guys like Atkinson, Stevens, Snyder, those younger type of coaches that I think the Grizzlies will probably try to go after in terms of caliber and upbringing. Um, they always end up finding open looks at the rim or open three-point shots, and that's what the analytics movement's all about. If you're not taking a three, it better be at the rim. And I think that's what is a product of strong access nose. And also, I think how the players are used in their in the system with the X's and O's will determine what kind of ceiling these players will have. Would Jaron Jackson just be an evolutionary Serge Ibaka or Rasheed Wallace, or will he be an Anthony Davis Giannis type player? Will Dylan Brooks be a Quincy Pondexter or a Danny Green? Can Kyle Anderson be like the San Antonio Spurs version of Boris Diaw? Can Jonas, is Jonas Valanciunas going to be Greg Monroe or he's going to be Ennis Kanter or Zach Randolph? I think that's all a byproduct of the X's and O's. And I think that's by far the most important thing because let's be real. There's nothing much better than just a awesome, executed, well-drawn play that gets an easy bucket, as we've seen with Brad Stevens and Kenny Atkinson, Quinn Snyder, Rick Carlisle, coaches like that, Greg Popovich, coaches like that. I mean, and Dave Yeager, uh, Dave Yeager did that for Memphis from time to time. And yeah, again, yeah. He, he did not do enough with the front office to make it work. And I think most folks would agree that at the end of that, it was probably necessary uh, that, that it came. It was still sh- shocking when it happened, but at least to me, it was shocking. But at the same time, it, it made sense once you got the vibe of what was happening in the front office and in that relationship that was so strained. Uh, because of the actions of Jaeger and to a lesser extent, the, the actions of the front office themselves. Uh, you, you brought up a very important point in terms of player development, something that we have to keep in mind. You make it to the NBA, you have talent. Like All of these dudes can play. They all have something that, you can, that brings to the table or that they can bring to the table. It may not be an elite skill, but it's still skills that can be mastered or skills that can get the most out of through development. You mentioned Joe Harris. He's a great example. Uh, I, I think that Jonas Valanciunas is a good example for the Grizzlies, a guy that could potentially be on the roster next year. You can maximize what he is and get him to the point where his numbers aren't just eating up numbers on, on a mediocre to bad team, or in the case of when he was with Toronto, having a smaller role on a good team. There's ways to hide his deficiencies, put him in place to be successful on a more consistent basis that J.B. Bickerstaff didn't consistently do. Even with the numbers that Valanciunas was getting, there were times where Valanciunas was a defensive liability. And it wasn't necessarily Jonas's fault. It was the fact that he was put in difficult situations that I think with the right coach, the right scheme, the right ability to adjust in game, which is another weakness of J.B. Bickerstaff, uh, you can see improvements there. So I'm with you in terms of X's and O's. I think that's the most important thing, too. Finishing up here with Parker Fleming over these next couple of questions. Follow him on Twitter, if you don't already do so, at Paca underscore Flocka, F-L-O-C-K-A. In the roundtable, as we discussed a moment ago, you didn't get a chance to answer this question uh, because it was the part two section of the roundtable. I already answered it. Uh, But I'm curious as to your take on the matter, Mike Conley, you know, more and more, it just seems like a natural thing that he's going to move on from the Grizzlies in terms of a trade. If Memphis conveys, I think it certainly happens. Even if they don't convey, either they pick eighth, which ugh, gross, or they get into the top four, which as I mentioned with Justin, not a bad end game, so to speak. Uh, It could be worse for sure. Uh, But what would it take for you at this stage? Let's say July 1st hits. New new league year starts. There's free agency. The cap space is there for more teams to take team take a player like Conley and his 67 ish 
million dollars left on his deal. They're able to take that on. What do you value now for Conley? What do you say, okay, this is the floor of what I'm willing to accept in a trade that sends away Mike Conley from Memphis? Well, as far as the floor goes, um, I think, you know, you saw the Utah deal, and that was favors Rubio and a first. But I think that deal's out the window, especially since Rubio is on hitting the free agency market this year. And also Dante Exum, I'm I'm not touching that. I'm sorry. Um, you also saw Detroit as well. And the offer I think around there was their first round pick this year, Reggie Jackson and John Luer. Personally, in my floor, I would revise that offer and ask for Luke Kennard as well. Because Mike Conley did prove that he can be an all NBA point guard in this last stretch, especially with a a more modernized four-out, one-in offense to where that's a little faster tempo, a lot more shooting, just a lot more spacing in general. Uh, my my uh, ceiling for it, though, it's actually on grizzlybearblues.com, and that's dealing with the Los Angeles Lakers. I think the Pelicans are going to deal Anthony Davis to Boston because they can get Jason Tatum. The deal that, that were offered around the trade deadline, you know, with Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball. They literally offered every young asset plus their picks. And I don't think they're doing that anymore because, for one, the Pelicans weren't dealing with uh, good morals and ethics there. They were really just trolling the Lakers and destroying their chemistry, and we definitely saw that in the last half of the season. Um, And maybe they do strike out on Kyrie Irving and – Kevin Durant, Kimball Walker, players like that. And I really think you can see a situation to where they give you maybe Lonzo Ball in this year's pick, and maybe they add in Josh Hart as a sweetener. And I will ask this. If they ask Josh, if they add Josh Hart as a sweetener, are you throwing in Dylan Brooks as well? I think I would, yes. Uh, I, I probably would do that. I think Josh Hart has shown more consistently that he can be what you want Dylan Brooks to be. Uh, I, I would probably say yes to that. Yeah, and even the value of getting a guy like, you know, like Keldon Johnson, Romeo Langford. I'm not going to mention Cam Reddish. I don't want to give you a heart attack on the show. Gross. Brandon Clark. Um, just a guy in that range, in that little like 10 to 14 range, it just gives you another opportunity to find talent. And as this team with Wexler and climbing at the helm of it, they really want to focus on the long term and a rebuild. You take every chance of talent you can get. So my ceiling is the Laker deal with ball and a pick, maybe Josh Hart, and my floor is a Pistons pick with Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, John Luer, and a future first. I agree with that. I, I think you're pretty much on point with my thinking there as well. And I do want to point out that you mentioned Kemba Walker. There's going to be other point guard options in free agency. Even D'Angelo Russell, I believe, is a restricted free agent, but it's hard to see Brooklyn letting him leave. Um, to me, I would rather have Mike Conley than Kemba Walker because even if you think Kemba's a little bit better than Mike at this stage, and I think you can make that argument if you'd like, especially as a scorer, at the same time, do you really want four or five years of Kemba Walker or would you rather have two years of Mike Conley knowing what production you're going to have, being able to get off of that contract, not having to have the long-term investment? To me, I'd rather have Conley. Two years of Conley seems more attractive to me than four of Kemba. That's just me. Uh, but at the same time, you make a good point with the the 10 through 12 or 10 through 14 value there. I'd want Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. And, and here's why, because I think that you put Jaron at the five long-term if Jonas comes back and he wants to play center and all that stuff, that's fine. I'm not sure Valanciunas is the long-term fit there, at least not as a starter. Maybe he could be a sixth man type. And I think Valanciunas could be a big sixth man of the year candidate, kind of like Brooke Lopez, uh, but without the three point shot. Um, but anyway, you put Jaron at the five and Brandon Clark at the four. Good luck defensively. Those are two dudes that can switch off of any pick and roll. Those are guys that can hedge extremely well. I think that makes your defense that much more viable in a modern NBA with Brandon Clark at the helm of it. So if they somehow won the lottery, quote unquote, they move up to four, they take uh, DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, and then they make the Lakers trade with Conley and they get Brandon Clark. All of a sudden, you've got Lonzo Ball, going back to that. You have shooting guard available and open 
Uh, you have a little bit more cap space now. Maybe you go get a Malcolm Brogdon in restricted free agency. DeAndre Hunter, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. That ain't bad. Uh, that's a one-year – it's not a rebuild because that's still probably not a playoff team in the Western Conference. But at least you're building to something, and there's a type of player that you're trying to acquire, a versatile player, somebody that can play multiple positions create off the dribble, do a variety of different things for you on both ends of the court. So I think you're onto something there, Parker. We're on the same page. We're finishing up here with Parker mm-hmm. Fleming of grizzlybearblues.com. He's a senior writer for us over there, also a co-host of the Core 4 podcast, making its SB Nation Network debut this week. Make sure you're on the lookouts for that. and Follow Parker on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. We'll get you out of here on this. Looking ahead to what Memphis is continuing to build in the here and now in terms of front office, you see a young guy, 30 years old, again, younger than me running this organization's basketball operations. Now they're looking for a veteran presence. And I'm curious as to what your takeaways are from some of the names that have been floated out there. Uh, Just in general, what we talked about, what you're looking for in a head coach if you're what are you looking for in a front office exec? Because to me, I get nervous when I see the names that I see and I think of the situations that they've been in in previous spots as former GMs. But at the same time, if Clayman is running the show, it's not like the guy who made the mistakes in the past is going to make the same mistakes right now. You have somebody else over top of them that can kind of filter through that if they don't like the idea. And if they make that call, it's not uh, Cho's fault, for example, uh, from Charlotte, one of the guys that has uh, been floated out there as a possible front office fit for the Grizzlies. It's it's Kleeman. So I'm kind of curious, what are you looking for? Do you really care as much if they weren't as successful as an NBA GM and you just value their experience? Or are you trying to keep that youth kind of movement going and maybe just continue to try to establish the brain trust idea that Paris is clearly going for, for the Grizzlies. Yeah, I do. Value, I value the experience a lot and that's why I'm probably more intrigued with rich show than most people, because I did find a while back where Kleiman was an intern, a basketball operations intern under rich show. And one thing I do want to keep in mind with Rich Cho is he had a good season in Port. I mean, he had one good season in Portland to where he was a one-year GM there. I believe they were a playoff team around then with like Lamarcus Aldridge, and they didn't they didn't have Dame Lillard yet. I don't think no, but they still it's in that regime that had you know Aldridge, Roy, and Odin. That's pretty good. Um, and also the thing with Charlotte, it's just tough to gauge because some of these bad moves they made. What if it was just more of a product of Jordan? I mean, just think, Michael Jordan wanted Kwame Brown in the 2001 draft where you could have had Pal Gasol. He wanted Frank Kaminsky instead of trading that pick for Boston's four first-round picks that included Brooklyn picks. He also wanted Adam Morrison so badly, he took him at three and passed on guys like Brandon Roy and Rudy Gay. So what if that wasn't Rich's fault? What if it was just Jordan's fault? Because as we've seen in the past with the Grizzlies, it was so tough to gauge Wallace's performance as a GM because we don't know how much input was given by ownership or other pe- members in the front office. As we saw in the 2009 draft when the late Michael Heisley wanted to draft Hashim the beat, whereas I think Wallace and Hollins were more inclined to take a guy like Tyreek Evans or Steph Curry. So it's one of these things where it's tough to gauge, but the fact is he's been in the front office for 20 years. That's valuable for because Ma- Chris Makris, he hasn't been in the Grizzlies front office too long. I think in the past two or three years, maybe Tayshawn Prince is an experience. Kleiman's definitely not experienced. Wexler's new. I think he knows more about the basketball side than people will give him credit for because he was the VP of business operations. If I stand corrected. And so Yes, but Wexler is the visionary. Wexler is the guy that Kleiman is going to go out and make a move, and Wexler is going to sell people on it. That, that to me, is what I see Wexler doing, is being really good at that. Here's our direction. Here's where we're heading. Wallace sucked at that at the end. There was, and he said it in his last interview. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where we're going. And maybe that was just kind of an allusion to, I haven't had my meeting with Perry yet. It went really well for him, clearly. Uh, no offense, Chris. But, I mean you probably could have come up with a better answer to me. Wexler's role is going to be, 
here's what we're doing. Here's the vision. Here's what we're building towards. It's going to be up to Kleiman and his staff. And and I think I'm with you. I'm warming up to the idea of Cho for exactly what you, you just said. They need somebody there to have that experience with agents, help with the bureaucratic red tape of an NBA contract, trade calls, all the things that you don't necessarily think about when it comes to running an NBA franchise. That's what Cho can do for Kleiman. And I think that's extremely valuable. Yeah, I agree. And also, we've seen it countless times on Twitter where there's a lot of people like season ticket holders worried about the future of this team, especially with like a new uncertain ownership. And there wasn't really like a GM search out there that many fans might have wanted, even if Wexler and Kleiman are the best guys. And I think to, you know, give the fans a little more certainty and maybe more inclination to renew their season tickets. For one, Wexler seems like the good guy for it. He knows the business side of it. He can sell these he can sell these fans on it. And I think that's always a big problem with teams that end up rebuilding is you don't have somebody come out and saying, look, we know what we're doing. We're building towards this. Just stick with us. And that's what I think happened with the process Sixers with Sam Hinkie is he came out and was like, all right, this is what's happening. Stick with us. It's going to get better. And I think Wexler's going to do the same thing. But also, I think it'd be a good idea to hire – a former Grizz, maybe Shane Battier in the front office because it's a popular move. And honestly, at this point, you have bad attendance numbers, an uncertain future, an unpredictable owner. Just give us someone that the fans will be excited about. Someone that's also a genius. I mean, Shane Battier, four years at Duke, one of the smartest players in the game. He was one of the best role players in that 2000s era. He's won championships with the Heat. He's worked under Pat Riley. I think he's someone you could put into the front front office and he'll give you a unique mind that's also fits along the lines of the analytic side of it. I love the idea of Battier. I think that's a great idea. I wanted him to be the GM, um, and it sounds like it's essentially climbing just a different kind of title. Again, the Grizzlies appear to be going the brain trust way of doing things. Uh, I, I don't know if Battier buys or jumps in to the brain, the brain trust in Memphis. It feels like maybe he could be being groomed to follow up Pat Riley in Miami, but it would be great if they could get Batty. I'm with you on that, Parker. We're, we're on the same page, which is a good thing because people like to disagree with me a lot. So it's nice to have folks agreeing with me from time to time. Hopefully everybody will agree with me that you are doing a great job over at grizzlybearblues.com. We're excited to see what you have coming up this week with the core four coming over to the SB nation network. And then of course, all off season long, all the great posts and work that you're going to do through the NBA draft through free agency and beyond. So Parker, thank you so much as always for coming on. Surely it won't be the last time. Thanks for having me, Joe. Absolutely. There he goes. Parker Fleming, senior writer for grizzlybearblues.com. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If you don't already do so at Paca underscore Flocka. That's all the time we have for this week's episode. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I do want to say thank you to Justin Lewis, my terrific guest in the previous segment, of course, just finishing up with Parker Fleming there. Thanks to you for making us a part of your Memphis Grizzlies fan experience. However, you're taking in the show. Make sure you're checking us out on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on iTunes. Leave us a review. Give us a rating. It's all appreciated as we continue to build our podcast network over at grizzlybearblues.com. So again, for my guests, Justin and Parker, I am your host, the site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com, Joe Molinax, saying grind forth, Grizz Nation. Until next time, this is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. the right tools for success. A painter needs their perfect brushes, and a climber needs to be able to rely on their harness. And for your work, you need to stay connected. With Slack, teams can help you work better. Slack is a productivity platform that connects all your team members together instantly. It's built to help your team with a host of features 
like huddles for quick check-ins and clips for recording and sharing video. Slack also makes it easy to search and find the right information you need. You can even integrate the apps you use in your normal workflow, like your calendar or product management tools, so you stay focused on the work that matters and get more done. Learn more at slack.com slash productivity.